as you're grabbing your seats, get your Bibles if you have those with you, and open them to the book of Jonah. So last week, if you weren't here with us, uh, we started a sermon series in the book of Jonah. Jonah's uh, four short chapters long, but there's a lot of stuff that we learn about uh, God and ourselves in Jonah, and so uh, that's what we're doing. We're, we're going to walk through the book of Jonah in five weeks and look at what God wants us to understand about himself and how we should understand ourselves as a result of that. So last week we did the first three verses. So we jumped into Jonah chapter 1 and then looked at the first three verses. And we began uh, with verse 1. And it looked an awful lot like what you would expect um, a, a passage to begin with in the Old Testament, right? And so oftentimes God comes to the writers of these books and these prophets and he, and he gives them instruction. Um, but we're shocked a little bit in the book of Jonah because his response isn't the same um, or his response is not one that we'd expect. Right, So in, in verse 1 it says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. And our expectation as the reader is to think that Jonah is going to respond in obedience because, after all, this is God, right? The creator of the heavens and the earth, the entire universe. And when God shows up and he asks you to do something, you should probably do that, right? But we see in the text that Jonah does not respond to God in, in obedience this way. In fact, uh, Jonah responds how we sometimes respond. He goes, you know what? I've, I've decided I really don't want uh, any part of that, and, uh, and I don't want to take this message to the Ninevites. They're my enemies. I don't even like those people, um, and so I think I'm going to do whatever I want to do, right? And, and, and it's shocking to the reader because, again, you're expecting him to uh, be obedient, or at the very least, like Moses or Jeremiah, maybe be reluctant, but, but still go about whatever God calls him to do. But instead, Jonah in verse 3, we learn that he goes down to Tarshish and he gets on a boat, and his plan is to go 2,500 miles in the opposite direction of where God said to go. And we get the answer of what he was trying to accomplish there. He says he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord, right? And so we're reminded this morning that, that we too can find ourselves in that spot where we're fleeing the presence of the Lord. It doesn't require you to go anywhere either. Like you don't have to go 2,500 miles in the wrong direction. Uh, you can stay right at home. In fact, that's part of my own story, right? It's like I, I know that I've experienced this in my own life where, where I've really kind of fled the presence of the Lord and I didn't go anywhere. Right? I, I stayed the same house that I do. I, I kept the same job and, and all those experiences. So you don't have to actually physically leave to understand and relate to this story. And so he wants to get away from the Lord. God's asking him to do something that, that, that he's not on board with. And what we're going to look at this morning, starting in verse 4 through the end of the chapter, is God's response to what Jonah does and then Jonah's response to all the things that God is doing in his life, okay? And so join me in praying this morning, and then we will jump in and unpack this text. Father, we just come to you this morning, and we thank you, God, for your word. God, we thank you that you are gracious and that you are merciful. And God, I pray above all else this morning that we are reminded that even when we are disobedient, God, even in times in our lives when we are in rebellion against what you've asked us, God, you still love us. God, that you still are for us. You're not going to give up on us. God, and ultimately you respond to our disobedience, not the way that we deserve, God, but with grace and with mercy and with kindness. And so, Father, I ask this morning that as we unpack your word here together, God, that we would recognize that about you, God, that you are who you are. And God, we are so thankful 
for that, that we're so thankful for the fact that you don't treat us the way that we should be treated and you don't give us what we deserve, but you meet us with grace and mercy, God. I pray that this morning as we look at your word, I pray that you challenge us. God, I pray that every single person in this room would examine their heart and their mind this morning. God, I pray that you'd reveal to them where they're at in their relationship with you. And God, if they're running from you, if they're, if they're fleeing from your presence, God, in a spiritual sense, God, I pray that you would bring them to the end of themselves today. God, for the person in this room that has been fleeing from you in a spiritual sense because they have, have not yet experienced your forgiveness and your salvation, God, I pray that you would bring them to saving faith today. God, that they wouldn't walk out these doors without understanding, God, that you are their only hope for salvation. And God, that you offer it freely. And we pray this in Christ's name, amen. All right, so we're gonna look at verse four through 17 this morning of Jonah chapter one. And we're gonna start by jumping into verse four here and seeing God's response. So remember last week, God shows up, says go to Nineveh. Jonah says, I don't think so. I'm gonna go to Tarshish instead. I'm gonna do my own thing. And then verse four, we see God's response to Jonah's fleeing and disobedience. So verse four, it says, but the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. And so what we see here right out of the gate in verse 4 is that to follow God is to submit to his will over our own. As I talked about last week, God is still for Jonah. God still loves Jonah. God loves Jonah to the point that he's not going to give up on him, and he's not going to let him go. God's going to run Jonah down, and God is willing to do whatever it takes in this story in Jonah's life to bring him to the end of himself and bring him back to the Lord. And we see that God chooses to hurl a great wind upon the sea because the mode that, that Jonah is using to flee from God's presence is, is this boat, right? Like he's, he's trying to get away from the things of the Lord and the Lord's like, no, not so fast, right? He, he's gonna bring you back in. Some of you may have even experienced that in your own life. Maybe part of your story is that, that at some point in your life, you were fleeing the presence of the Lord, you were trying to do your own thing and God didn't give up on you. He wouldn't let you go and he did whatever it took to get your attention, right? And that's what's happening here. God hurls this great wind upon the sea where to see that this this is divine in origin and in nature, right? This is to grab Jonah's attention. Listen, Jonah, you may think that you're going to be able to flee my presence. You may think that you're going to be able to get on this boat and go off and, and do your own thing, but I'm not going to let you do that. I'm going to bring you back to me. And if this doesn't grab Jonah's attention, then God will give him something else to grab his attention, right? Some of you, like I said, maybe that's part of your story. Maybe, maybe you were fleeing the presence of the Lord and God was doing little things in your life to get your attention and to bring you back to himself, right? But here's what I know about the Lord. The Lord will start out subtle and he will increase the intensity based upon your stubbornness, right? So sometimes God starts out with a little tiny thing and then he moves on to a switch and some of you needed a two by four, you know what I mean? Like that, that's part of your, your story. Like, but God got my attention, right? Same thing is true for Jonah. Jonah, listen, you may think that you're able to flee and that you can run away from me, but I love you too much to let you go. That's what I want you to hear this morning from this sermon. This isn't about punishment. This is about God's love. No different than you would have for your own children. You love them too much to watch them run off and do things that you know aren't good for them. So right out of the gate, we see God's response in verse 4. Look at verse 5. 
Then the mariners were afraid and each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was on the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had laid down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give thought to us that we may not perish. And so we see that this storm, this, this wind that's been hurled upon them is divine in nature. It came from God himself. It was to get their attention. And so far, it's grabbed the attention of everyone except for Jonah, right? And, and remember in this story, like these, these men are men that have grown up on the sea, these are Phoenician sailors, we believe, right? Like, like this is what they do day in and day out. Have you ever been around somebody who's experienced on the sea and you're not? Uh, this, this year we were able to go on a trip and we went out on, um, uh, this, to go snorkeling on the ocean and the guys working on the boat, like you could tell like they do this all day, every day, right? And, and the rest of us, you could tell that we don't. I mean, you could tell that by the number of Dramamine tablets that were being passed around, right? Like, like we're all like, oh my gosh, I'm gonna get sick and this is the worst, and these guys are just like, like they're eating, literally, like they're gonna serve us a buffet on, on, the, on the boat, and they're like, man, this is great, this is wonderful. Why? Because they were experienced in that, right? So this should get our attention that these men who've grown up on the water have that level of experience that they're concerned about this storm. This isn't just your average storm, right? A couple years ago, Aaron and I were um, at the Beaver Lake in, in Arkansas, and we were out on a jet ski, and a storm came up over the lake, and the waves got crazy, choppy, and that's the closest thing I've ever been to to what I'm reading here, right? And I know that's silly, but like we were, we were in a full-fledged panic, right? And, and you become, you, you realize what little control you have in those situations if you've ever been in something like that. And so these sailors, these experienced men, they're looking out and they're going, listen, this isn't like anything we've ever seen before. And it, and it brings them to the point of panic, right? Like these are grown men running around the boat, and the Bible says crying out to whatever their, whoever their God was, right? And, and so, so they've, they've completely lost it. And, and we're told at the same time, Jonah's asleep somehow, Jonah's asleep down in the bottom of this boat, and so the one person that should have cared was the one that cared the least, and these guys are now in a panic, so much so that in verse 6, it tells us that the captain goes and wakes Jonah up. They're saying, listen, we're in such a dire situation. We need everyone crying out to whatever God they can cry out to. Why? Because maybe, maybe yours will listen. That's what, the, that's what the captain says. If you cry out to your God, maybe he would listen. And we know that to be true about Jonah's God, right? We're going to find out up here in a second that that would have been absolutely the case. But what is Jonah's response? It's not, it's not to cry out to the Lord, right? And what we see here is that Jonah has become complacent and hard-hearted, right? This is important for us to understand because it, it's how we relate to the Lord in, in a spiritual sense as well. Any time in your life, that you flee from the presence of the Lord, that you begin to walk away from the Lord in a spiritual sense, that you begin to build a wall between you and the Lord and between uh, you and spiritual things. This is what begins to happen. Complacency begins to build in your life and your heart becomes hardened over time. Right? And that's what we're seeing in Jonah's life. He, he's no longer responding to spiritual things. 
Like, like he's the one who knows all I've got to do is pray to the Lord and this whole thing could be over. But he refuses to pray. Why? Because he's so complacent. He's so hard-hearted. In fact, complacency, it's good for us to understand this. The definition is being self-satisfied. It's being self-satisfied. And the more we walk away from the Lord and away from spiritual things, the more self-satisfied we become, right? Lord, I got this. I'm good. I don't need you. Or for some of us, it's even, it's even worse than that. Like, 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 I don't want you around. So not only do I, I've got this, I, I, I don't even want you here. I don't even want to cry out to you. I don't want to pray to you. I don't want to do any of these things. And maybe some of you in the room, you've experienced that before. You've been to that place in your relationship with the Lord where you're like, listen, I'm just so done. I don't even want to pray. I don't want to read the Bible. And I don't want to do any of these things anymore. And that's, that's a sign to you that you are becoming complacent to self reliant, and that you've become hard-hearted, you're unwilling or incapable of feeling sympathy and spiritual things. You're no longer tender towards the things of God. And this is a very, very dangerous place to be. As I said, the Lord's not going to let you stay there. So if you're a believer in Christ and this is where you're at, he's not going to let you stay there. He loves you too much. But but you might want to think it through before he gets the two-by-four out. Or hurls the great storm upon the sea. Look at verse 7 as we continue on in the story. It says, and they said to one another. So now they've woke Jonah up. They told him to cry out. And this is their conversation with each other. Verse 7. And they said to one another, come let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. So a couple things going on here. Number one is, like I said, this is divine in nature, and they know it. So they're going, listen, somebody here has done something to make someone very upset, and we need to find out who it is. So the Bible tells us they cast lots. Listen, there's no scientific process for casting lots. If you're curious, they're like, what does that mean? It would be equivalent to us like drawing straws, right? Like, I mean, they're just like, they're just doing anything and everything uh, that they can. But God in his sovereignty in this moment makes it very clear that it is in fact Jonah. And so the lot falls on Jonah and God wants the sailors to know and Jonah to know that He's the problem, right? And, and Jonah, you know when, when, it, when it falls on him, he's got to be thinking, of course, Lord. Of course. You're just calling me out in front of these, these pagan sailors. Like, this is what we're doing now. And, and so everybody is aware of the fact that it is Jonah who is the problem. Verse 8, and they said to him, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? Um, this week, as I studied this, I thought, like, with everything going on in the middle of this storm, and, like, they're throwing cargo off and all this, and now we've drawn straws, and we've done a lot of weird stuff, and so now they want, like, a, like this whole dialogue with Jonah, right? Like, I'm surprised they didn't just grab him and throw him off the boat in the first place, right? But they're like, well, tell us your life story. You know, tell, tell us a little bit about yourself. Give us your five-minute testimony. Or maybe we need the 30-second testimony here. But they ask, what does he do? Where does he come from? What is his occupation? Look at his response in verse 9. 
He said to them, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. So imagine for a second, you're one of these pagan sailors and you've been asking him to call out to his God so that you might be saved. And they say, by the way, who, who are you? What do you believe? What, what God do you serve? And Jonah goes, I actually serve the God who made all this, including the ocean. And they're like, brother, what is going on with you right now, right? Like, like, like how, can you, how can you be in this place? Look at verse 10. They were exceedingly afraid, and they said to him, what is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Again, we're, we're shocked. We're, we're met with everything that we don't expect throughout this entire book, right? Like, like Jonah should be the one... If he's a God-fearer who is fearful of God in this moment because of his disobedience and his rebellion and his fleeing, but yet he's cool as a cucumber, and it says the sailors are exceedingly fearful. Like, like they are the ones who understand the situation, right? Like, whoa, like the, the God who made everything, like you follow him, and that's who you're running from? What is wrong with you? Like, so they get it in a way that Jonah doesn't. And that's what leads us to this, that Jonah's actions do not match his beliefs. Jonah says one thing with his mouth, but his actions demonstrate something totally different, right? So he says, I'm a fear, I'm, I'm a Hebrew, I'm a fear of the Lord, I follow God. But at the same time, he's actively rebelling against and running from God. So, so what he says he believes and what he's actually doing, they, they don't match up. They've, they've become incompatible, which is another thing that you see whenever you're in this place, right? When you're in this place with the Lord where you're fleeing from his presence and you don't want to do the things that he's called you to do anymore. And you're just like, I'm, I'm done with all this. You begin to see this in your life as well, that your actions stop matching your beliefs, right? You, and you may go on for a long time and say, listen, this is what I believe about the Lord. And I, and I think he's good and, 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 and all these things. But you, you'll eventually start creeping over into doing things that don't line up with that. And by the way, let me just say this. This is exactly what the guys on the boat don't need. Think about this for a second. Jonah is the only person on this boat that claims to know God. All the rest of these guys, they're pagan sailors. They, they don't know the Lord, right? And Jonah is saying one thing with his mouth and living out something in direct contradiction to that. And he's supposed to be the gospel witness here. Like it was the same in the Old Testament as the New Testament, right? Today we call it the Great Commission. Go and make disciples. But they had the same commission from God in the Old Testament. You, Israel, as Hebrews, you are to be light in darkness, you're to be an example to these guys. The only person on the boat who knew God was the only one acting like he didn't. And that's a problem. It's a problem for you and I as believers as well. We are the same, right? We are believers that live in a culture that could be lost and dying. And what you need to be focused on is sharing the gospel with those that need to hear the good news. But instead, more often than not, we're trying to overcome actions that don't match our belief, right? And a lost and dying world is, is, is taking note. 
They're, they're tired of it. They're tired of so-called Christians that look just like everyone else. Or worse, just like in this situation here. But you're the only believer on this boat, Jonah, and you're the only one that doesn't care, and your actions are no longer matching what you say you believe. You are not a fear of the Lord. If you were a fear of the Lord, you would be doing what God asked you to do. Instead, you're you're taking off and, and you're doing your own thing. Look at verse 11. And they said to him, what shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. It's an awesome word. He said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it's because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not. For the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. So even these unbelieving pagans recognize in this moment that the best solution to this current problem is to not grab this guy and throw him to his death into the ocean. Even when Jonah, in his hard-heartedness, is saying, listen, just throw me overboard. I'm I'm done with this. I don't want to do this anymore. In fact, Jonah's really trying to relate to us. I would rather die than do what God asked me to do. That's a crazy place to be at. But that's where he's at. In verse 13, it says the sailors, they don't even want to be a part of that. They tried to row harder to get back to dry land, but couldn't. Verse 14, therefore they called out to the Lord, Lord, let us not perish for this man's life. And lay not on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah, hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. I want you to catch this and don't miss this. The only believer on the boat would rather die than do what God asked him to do. And all of the unbelieving sailors are coming to a place of repentance. Do you see what's happening here? Who is it that cries out to the Lord? The text never says that Jonah does. Not one time does Jonah cry out to the Lord, knowing that it's the one thing that he needs to do. What does he need to do? I need to cry out to the Lord. I need to surrender. I need to repent. That's where we're at. But he's unwilling. That's what we see. Jonah is unwilling to fully surrender to the Lord. Like these guys who didn't know the Lord previously are, are, are now making sacrifices to God, fearing him like, like, like believers, calling out to him, asking them to, to deliver them, like recognizing that he is the only one that has any power over this situation. And Jonah stands there quietly as they grab him and they throw him overboard. So the one thing that Jonah needed to do was the thing that he didn't want to do the most, right? And, and you want to be hard on Jonah. I do. I want to be hard on Jonah in this sense. But like, like I said this week, every, every step of the way as I study this, I just kept seeing myself in Jonah. Like I, I know that to be true. Right? Like when you are distant from the Lord, when you're running from him and you're, you're, you're not wanting to surrender, like you know what you should do but it's the last thing that you want to do. 
because of the, the shame and the guilt and, and, and everything that's going on in your heart. And so you just stay hard-hearted and you stay going against God knowing the entire time all I need to do and what I need to do is just, is just give up. I need to surrender. Jonah needs to just come out with his hands up, right? Like just, just walk out of here. And all you got to do is call upon the Lord and this whole thing's over. But yet he's unwilling to do that. This week it made me think of the prodigal son. So I was studying for this text. The prodigal son, he, in scripture, he asked his father for his inheritance while his dad's still alive. So basically he said, listen, I want your stuff, but I don't want you. And so he takes it and he goes off. And the Bible tells us that he squanders it. And it takes him a long, long time to get to the place where he realizes that what I need to do is just stop running. And I need to go home. And that's what he does in the story of the prodigal son as he comes to his senses, the Bible tells us, as he's over a pig trough eating with other animals. And he realizes, the thought occurs to him, like, you know what? If I would just go home, I bet you my dad would accept me. I bet you he would take me back. I bet you he would love me. I bet, you, I bet you that I could get past all this stuff. And the story concludes with that being the case, that he finally realizes that all I need to do is stop running, surrender, and go back to the Lord. And, and that's what he does. He goes back to his father in the story. And his father welcomes him with open arms. And that, that is supposed to be a picture to us of the Lord in relationship to us. So like Jonah, all he has to do is go back to God and everything is gonna be fine. God's not gonna be wringing his hands. He's not, he's not waiting for him with a belt on the front porch. The prodigal son story says that when he sees him, he runs to him and he meets him and they kill the fatted calf and they have a party. Why? Because his son who was off doing his own thing has now returned. That's a picture that we see being built here in this chapter of Jonah. That Jonah, man, you just got to stop. You've got to come to your senses. We're going to see that next week. I can't get too far ahead of myself. But it takes a lot. It takes a lot to get Jonah's attention. And the same may be true for you and I in this room this morning. So here's what I want to do with the time that we have left. Very quickly, I want us to talk about three signs that I've surrendered to God's will over my own. So remember, we started this whole thing as about Jonah surrendering to God's will over his own, but he's actively in rebellion to it. So, so what are three signs that I have surrendered to God's will over my own? And I want you to hear these, and I want you to think about these for yourself. Number one is this, that my life is no longer marked by complacency and hard-heartedness. Listen, like I said, to follow the Lord is to surrender to his will over your own. You cannot be a follower of Christ in right relationship with him and be complacent, which is self-reliant, and hard-hearted. Those things are incompatible with a right relationship with the Lord. In fact, the Bible tells us in relationship to even salvation, right? Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26, the Lord says, I will remove from you a heart of stone and replace it with a heart of flesh. God doesn't want you to have a hard heart. He wants you to have a tender heart. Prior to salvation, though, all you have is a hard heart. Ephesians chapter 2, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. 
actively rebelling against God, unwilling to surrender to his lordship in your life. But the Bible tells us that if you would stop, if you would give up, if you would stop being self-reliant, recognize that your only hope is Jesus Christ and turn to him, you will be, you will be met with grace and mercy. And God's going to take that heart of stone out and he's going to put in a heart of flesh. Number two, that my actions match what I say I believe. My actions match what I say I believe. Listen, true repentance, true repentance is about life transformation and change over the long haul. We call it sanctification, right? So how do I know that I've surrendered to God's will of my own? Well, my actions match what I say I believe. See, you can only fake it for so long. You can claim to have a relationship with Jesus, say with your mouth that you believe in God, but your life, your, your life is gonna be a testimony to the truth. And at some point, you, you can only keep that up for so long, right? At some point, it's gonna be made evident, right? Because it, it's not about behavior modification. It's about life transformation. In Christ, I'm not a little bit different. I am a new creation. One, one passes the test of time. One, one passes the test of, of my actions. Now, that's not to say that you're not going to have moments where your actions don't match your beliefs. You're still, you're still battling sin and putting, putting that to death in your life. But, but overall, your life should be marked by life transformation and sanctification, which is the process of your beliefs and your actions coming together. Number three, the third sign that you've surrendered to God's will over your own. Number three, I've given up on being the Lord of my own life. Listen, that's the surrender part that we were talking about. The, the, the thing that Jonah needed to do that he failed to do was, was to surrender and submit to God. And that's what we're talking about this morning. We're talking about lordship. This is what biblical salvation is. It's not just this general belief in God. The Bible tells us in James that the demons believe in God. They're not saved. Right? So, so what is it? It's about lordship. It, it's not even one time asking the Lord to come into your heart. It's about you coming to the end of yourself and God's gonna bring you to that place. That's, that's what, he, what he's doing in Jonah's life. And that's what he did in my life. He had to bring me to the end of myself to where I recognized that, listen, I can't do this on my own. Contrary to popular belief out there in the culture that I am not good enough. Nobody wants to hear that anymore, but it's true. I am not good enough. The standard is perfection, and I messed that up a long time ago. So recognize that if I can't do it, then, then, then what? Well, there's one that can. And the Bible tells us that we are to submit to his lordship, right? Being Jesus Christ. He did for us what we could never do for ourselves. The Bible tells us that he left heaven. He lived a perfect and sinless life on this earth. He went to the cross died on the cross, was buried, and three days later came back to life. 
He was resurrected, right? Defeating sin, Satan, and death. And because of that work, we can have salvation, but it requires us to step off of the throne of our own life and let Jesus take his rightful place. That's what it looks like to surrender. So, have you surrendered to God's will over your own? Those are the three questions you need to ask yourself. Are you still battling complacency and hard-heartedness? Do your actions match what you say you believe? And have you come to the place in your life when you recognize that Jesus Christ is your only hope for salvation and you have given up the throne of your own life? Okay, you're in charge now, not me. Let's pray this morning. Father, we thank you so much for your word. God, we thank you for the challenge that we see in it. And God, there's not a person in this room that at some point in our lives hasn't wrestled with this. Fleeing from your presence. God, to one degree to one degree or another, God, every single person in this room has dealt with this. So God, this morning, I pray very specifically that you would remind us that the solution is to stop running. To surrender our will to yours. And God, rest in the knowledge that you are God and we are not. So if there's anyone in this room this morning, God, that's in active rebellion and disobedience to you, what you called them to do. God, I pray that this morning would be the time when they would run back to you. God, that they would recognize like the prodigal son that all they got to do is return to you. That thing that they don't want to do, God, I don't want to pray, I don't want to read my Bible, I don't want to talk to God, I don't want God to know. Like, that's the very thing that they need to do. And so, God, I pray that you give them courage and boldness to respond to you that way this morning. God, for those in the room that do not have a relationship with you, God, I pray that this morning that they heard that they can't be self-sufficient. There is no being good enough on our own. God, we need you. You are our only hope for salvation. And God, if we would repent and we would surrender our lives to you, God, you, you will meet us, not with what we deserve, but God, you meet us with grace and mercy and forgiveness. So God, I pray that that person this morning, that they would respond to you in saving faith. And we pray this in Christ's name, amen.